what was the last hike y'all went on? Do you know yours? I do. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and it is going to be a very churchy, preachery thing to say, oh. but the last hike I went on was with our Wesleyan oh. Wanderers crew at, at Cleburne State Park. <laughs> Tell me more. And, yes, it was fantastic. We we actually, it really was pretty cool. Um, Did you get the Wesleyan Wanderers to sponsor this episode of our podcast? Yes. <laughs> Shannon, we're waiting for the check. Just so you know. Um, no, it, it was pretty cool because we, we gathered together, about 10 or 12 of us, and mm-hmm. And hiked through Cleveland State Park, and, and we did a couple of different loops. One through a very wooded area where everything was just still and calm, and you know you felt like you were could have been miles from anything else, right? And then we walked up along the the ledge of of where, where the dam is, and the lake was built, and sort of that overflow wash area. And it was you know, as long as you didn't get too close to the edge, it was pretty cool. Um, and and you could see just even in the overflow of the lake, yeah, right. You could see how um, time moves slowly and yet quickly all at the same time. In the erosion of the rock, right, you could right. tell where they'd had overflows, and it just carved this little niche. And then, um, so yeah, it was. We hiked with a big group. We had a time of, of gathering. We had just been spending time wrestling with the the scripture from Acts, where Paul says. In God we live, move, and exist, mm-hmm. right? And so it really was an embodiment moment for me in, yeah. in that place. So I uh, recently, most recently hiked um, with a friend of mine, um, and we hiked from my house to the cross that's at Glen Lake Camp, because that's we live on that property. And then we hiked down the cross trail, and okay. we hiked up the Paluxy River. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was wonderful, and it was gorgeous weather, and we had our dogs. In the last, like, 50 yards... It went from being ankle deep water to being chest deep water. (laughs) And we were very, uh, we were just laughing at, you know, um, the, you know, we didn't know what we were getting into, but yet I don't think we anticipated getting into wading chest deep waters and Mm. um, her dog swam over to her when she, uh, when she got done. Um, tired of swimming and had her carry her the last 20 yards. Um, and my dog got out of the river and was really upset, even though he could see us because he was acting like he didn't know where to go. Yeah. <laughs> but we all made it. Um, <laughs> but uh, there was this beautiful moment where, well, there was a couple things. One is, you know, when we first got into the river, when you can't see, where your foot is stepping in water, mm, there can yeah. be some anxiety about that, right? Um, what's under here, what's happening. Um, but the more that we walked in the uh, muddied water, the more that we became confident mm. um, in our steps. Um, and that's how we also found ourselves in really deep waters. Well. <laughs> um, but at the same time, it was this beautiful way of like remembering what it's like to trust even when we can't see what's going on and i you call me out yeah something like that yeah Yeah. so a week ago i was driving home and when i drive home i drive through the river and just to the right of it is where the really deep part was Mm. um and then there's like a shelf that juts up and you're in very shallow water that cars can drive through and there were some men fly fishing where we had walked through. And apparently, if we had just taken about three steps to our left, we would have stayed in about shin deep water. 
just like really tall people. No. Like no. Eight, eight foot tall people. Yeah, no. No eight foot tall people. Man. My last hike was actually like a month ago. I, w- I was at Eagle Mountain Lake yeah. up north of Fort Worth um, with like four friends. Um, and we just were all feeling like going on a hike. So we planned it like two weeks in advance and we we're just like, do we want to go hike? And there was nothing like y'all both had like these really ex- spiritual experiences. I mean, hiking is always a spiritual experience for me. It's nice to get away and kind of just walk and wander mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah know, sponsored by wesley wander um, <laughs> for for a little bit but um it was just nice to be with friends and um kind of away from the world for a minute it was just saturday morning so it was a good start to the day and um it actually ended up being a really busy day but whenever you can anytime you get a chance yes. like to start like in that yeah way it's like everything else is kind of easy throughout the day i guess for I me and so yeah it was it was a i, I like hiking we did it for like three hours. I don't know. It was, Love it. it was pretty fun. One of the things that I heard in both of your stories and have experienced myself is that often when we, you know, there's an element of hiking that is getting outside of your normal rhythm and your normal routine and, and you're not doing your everyday normal thing. And when we go on hikes, we're able to experience things from new perspectives, from new angles, we, you know, the mm-hmm. all the ordinary things that happen every day all around us all the time. We have greater eyes to see and ears to hear, right? It, yeah. It's it's a way in which, I mean, you would have never paid any attention to those fly fishermen no. driving across other than to make sure you didn't hit them with your car, right? Correct. Um, but all of a sudden you, you had a whole new perspective on the work they were doing and how they were doing it and where they were doing it mm-hmm. because you had been three feet to the right and <laughs> in right. chest deep water rather than, <laughs> you know, shin deep water. Uh, I think hikes have the power to do that mm-hmm. for us. Give us an opportunity to see things in a new way mm-hmm. from a new angle. Hiking. Hmm. Welcome to the Gather, Grow, Go podcast. I'm Pastor Daniel. I'm Pastor Melissa. And I'm just Kiefer. Today we continue in this series where we're looking at how do we read the Bible and how do we make sense out of the Bible? How do we begin to encounter it? Last, the last two weeks we began with exactly that, beginnings. How do we even get started? And we affirmed that part of getting started is actually starting. So uh, <laughs> Daniel, can you uh, to like kick us off with this new kind of um, approach that we're taking when we're looking at how to read our Bible, maybe bring us some Bob Goff vibes and tell us a story about hiking. I can tell you a story about hiking. So this is a story I first encountered while I was in seminary, uh, but it's a powerful story of of perspective and, and um, new ways of seeing things and looking at things that kind of open us up a little bit. Uh, so it's a story of three hikers. They're hiking through a national forest in, in Northern California, and and they've been hiking for a good chunk of the day. You know, they get to that point in the hike where you're feeling good and fulfilled and things are good, but you're kind of a little tired too, right? And so they reach this point in the hike where, where there's a small clearing where they can just stop and rest for a little bit. And so they stop and they rest. And as they're sitting there, three of them all together, they, they notice this sign a sign that had clearly been there for 200 years, right? A sign that Mm -hmm. dated back to the gold rush days of Northern California, right? Where people were coming in like crazy and it was a crude wooden sign, not super fancy, really weathered. You could tell it had been there a long time. 
And the sign, as they took time to look at it and read it, it was nailed to a tree and it said, no trespassing, violators will be persecuted. Mm. And as you might expect, three these three hikers saw this and were puzzled by it. Violators will be persecuted, right? That it's it's almost the right word but it doesn't feel like it's the right word and so they they sparked this little debate because the other thing you know about these three hikers is not only did they love nature not only did they they love the capacity to to walk through the world and, and see and hear things in a new way they were also deep nerds so in a way they're like the three of us sitting around these microphones um <laughs> If only they had the microphones. If only they had the microphones, yes. But they launched into a debate internally about what the sign meant. And they boiled down to to three different arguments. One of the hikers argued, well, the, the sign means what it says. The sign literally says, no trespassers, violators will be persecuted. Therefore, it means we cannot trespass. And if we do, we will be mistreated. Right, we will be persecuted uh, for <laughs> Sorry, something, just, we, <laughs> especially because of <laughs> drop-in definition of persecute we, here. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, subject to hostility and ill treatment, especially because of their race or political or religious beliefs. Okay, so the sign means literally what it says. Right, violators mm-hmm. will be persecuted, and, and the other guy's like, oh, "Come on, really? It, it can't literally mean persecuted. We we have to believe." that that the author meant prosecuted because every time you see a version of this sign it means prosecuted right and prosecuted is to institute legal proceedings i.e trials and you know a judge um against a person or somebody that broke the law yeah so if you go on this land they will turn you into the cops and you will go to court (laughs) right i mean that that's what prosecuted seems more uh natural yeah it feels like a more natural thing right and so the second hiker is like all right we 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 can know what it literally says but we also real meaning is probably in in the authorial intent mm-hmm. right and in, in what the author intended to say even if they didn't say it perfectly <laughs> and the third hiker is looking at both of them at this point and and you know that look you get from friends when they think you've taken an adventure and missing the point? Yes. And, and they're like, you're idiots. Come on now. Right? <laughs> I, I could see that, that look on this third hiker's face. Because the third hiker uh, says to the other two, you're both wrong. The sign doesn't mean anything. It's in a national forest now. It is all public <laughs> land. There is no validity to the claim of private property rights here. It is all public. It may have once meant something, but our context here today, it doesn't mean a thing, right? Things have shifted. Therefore, it doesn't mean anything anymore. They, they never really, as far as I know, uh, settled on any one didn't thing. come to an agreement they, they didn't come to an agreement they're like they're like good and faithful people all the time they they allowed each other to sit in their different perspectives and and, and kind of let it sit there but i think that story is helpful because when we talk about reading scripture mm-hmm. uh sometimes i know that often in the culture i grew up in we were i heard the phrase over and over again the bible says that I believe, I believe it, it. That settles it, mm-hmm. right? And, and sort of pushing for a, like the only faithful way to read scripture is a hyper-literalist way mm-hmm. of reading scripture. Um, that would be kind of like the, the first guy, right? The persecuted guy, right? right? Uh, and, and yet over time, you're exposed to the 
what I believe to be the truth that there really are, you know, any one text within scripture can have meaning in what it literally says, can have meaning in what the author's intent was, and I think can have meaning in, in the context of, well, what does this say to our hearts and lives today? I think it gives us a, an angle and, and I think an acknowledgement of, of truth. The thing I love about this story is that it, it, it names a truth that we have all experienced at different points in time, but then gives us the freedom because it's not specifically at first connected to scripture, right? Right. To then take that lens and go, well, how does this apply to what Paul says? How does this apply mm -hmm. to what we see in the gospels? How does this apply to mm -hmm. what we see in our old Testament yeah. and other places? Origin, the, um, you know, father, one of the forefathers, one of what I would call philosophers of the church, um, <clears throat> would put it in the kind of terms that when we come to scripture and when we have those moments where we start to ask questions of the scripture, really what we're inviting is a wrestling with the Holy Spirit. Mm. And that that wrestling is what brings about God's living truth and love. Yeah. Um, and I absolutely love that kind of view of that um, scripture can fall flat if we're willing to just let it sit. But if we're willing to engage with it, we can find the living God here with us. And, and I love that, you know, part of, you know, we are a part of the Judeo-Christian right. extension of, of, of people over time. And Midrash was a huge thing with, um, with the, the Hebrew scholars and the, and the rabbis back in the day. And that was, we're going to take this text and we are going to wrestle with it. We're going to play. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's kind of been a part of our DNA. The conversation begins where the story ends is yeah. kind of the jumping off point. Yeah. And, and so there's this ongoing wrestling with, with what is here and what does it mean and, and how, you know, what is said and what's left unsaid. Yeah. Right. And, and what is said by things being left unsaid and, mm -hmm. you know, what is left unsaid by only saying certain things. To me, there's always been a, a sense in the Bible of like literally the name Israel from, you know, way back in the Old Testament mm -hmm. is means to wrestle with God. And, you know, there's the whole story of how that happened, which is the weird story that I this is is funny because it's one of the stories that I read and, I'm, and I go, what? And I scratch my head over yeah. that particular story. But everything after that, like um, in the Bible, I've always I've always enjoyed the take of like, I want to th this this is only meaningful to me because I wrestle with it and because it's something that isn't clear all the time and something that isn't like that requires me to think a little bit and to feel a little bit and to experience life and think about it as a lens rather than just like, Oh, here's the rules and here's the, yeah you know, that, that isn't as helpful to me. And I think an important thing to kind of lift up in this kind of talking of wrestling that we're discussing is also that the wrestling always becomes richer and deeper when done within community. Mm. Um, so, you know, that is one of the beautiful works of the church and within like, you know, a small group or a Sunday school class or your group of people, right. That you yeah. find, yeah. um, especially if your group of people looks like the three hikers where you each have yeah. this different kind of place that you hold as truth, but this beautiful thing that you can do when you come to the sign that says, trespassers will be persecuted yeah no I, I think it is community is the best place to engage all of this um 
you know, one of the things that our experience is clear on, one of the things scripture is clear on, one of the things that life has been clear on for several thousand years of people trying to walk faithfully together um, in, in the way of God is that it is something that we do much better together than we do apart. Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, I love the image that the three hikers are having a debate. Sometimes in church, when we are studying scripture, we feel like our, our impulse to be nice Mm-hmm. gets in the way of our impulse to really wrestle with things. Yeah. Right? We we don't we hear somebody offer a perspective that may or may not be wrong or right, but maybe just different than the, the perspective we held on something. Mm-hmm. And we we avoid leaning into, well, here's how I encounter that. Right? I mean the Israel wrestling with God thing, right? right. Is that scripture inviting us all to literally physically wrestle with God or is there <laughs> a, something more metaphorical going on here right that engagement and then an encounter I mean you know so right um, but the power of doing that in community reminds us one we don't all have to have every answer all the time yeah and others have experienced and learned things that are fruitful to our growing and learning this past week in the midst of um an evening where I was scrolling through Facebook. Sometimes good things can come from scrolling. What? Now we we I won't say you know if that's one out of ten or a hundred, yeah. but I came across a quote by uh, Kinda Creasy Dean in a new mm. article she put out. Um, and Kinda Creasy Dean is almost Dean, Christian. Almost wrote almost Christian professor at Princeton. Princeton. Yep. Thank you. Um, and she. Um, his spe- she spent most of her ministry specializing actually in work with student ministries. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had this quote of, um, you know, someone kind of asked her, like, why have all these young people that have been raised in church left the church? Mm-hmm. And one of her responses was, perhaps it's because we gave them nothing good to talk about. Hmm. And I think sometimes that yeah. happens when we become too nice is we become so nice that we haven't actually said anything. Whereas I think when we're willing to approach the three hikers Mm. um, and Mm. even find the three hikers within the church to have not heated and ugly and polarizing um, debates, but rather to have dialogue and conversation with um, there's something more beautiful that comes out of it. So I thought before we hop into next week, um, where we'll actually really engage with this through the lens of the Gospel of Mark, which we started with last week, I thought it might be helpful for us to give a couple examples because three hikers is kind of this like cool thing, but like, how do you actually approach it? So Daniel, when you brought up the idea of the, the three hikers, my brain went first to the Rosetta Stone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is a, if you've heard of it, it's probably because you're thinking of, you know, the language program that right. so many people right. love before Duolingo became the app that took over Rosetta Stone. Right. But, you know, the computer program, they teach you a different language. That's one of the last, like, commercials that I remember from my childhood. Is the Rosetta, Rosetta Stone, Stone commercials. Oh, That's actually really funny. childhood, Daniel. Oh, that makes me okay. so old. Yeah. Come on. We just talked about how my first job, I had a debit card, and I've never really very had the cash tr- thing. This is very true. But um, so I thought about the, the not the computer Rosetta Stone, but the, the original actual Rosetta, actual Stone. Rosetta Stone, which is um, 
held at the British Museum in London. And it's this big black piece of slate. And it's got three different languages on it. And it was found in 1799. But it was written in 196 BC. So it's this ancient document that we have that has these three different languages on it. Um, And one of the reasons why I thought this would be a good starting place maybe for us to use the lens of the three hikers is that sometimes when we're exploring something new, um, taking it first to our sacred text that we have lots of love and experience with can be daunting. But if we see it with something outside of our sacred text, it becomes easier to see how you approach it. Absolutely. And the thing I love about the Rosetta Stone um, image here and the example that it provides for us is that it is, it's not just three different languages on the same thing. It, what it allowed scholars to do in its discovery was translate three ancient languages, right. That had been unlockable before that. Right. And, and, and so because it had the same decree issued in those three same, three different languages all on the same tablet, right? And so right. Wh- it became the key for archaeologists to unlock how to read Egyptian hieroglyphics yeah. that hadn't been possible pre then. But we actually have to give some credit to Christianity's help in the midst of it because the ancient Greek that is written on it was profoundly helped because that is one of the three languages on it Mm -hmm. um, is helped in what cracking the code looked like. Yeah, because our our religion scholars are used to wrestling with ancient Mm -hmm. Greek because much of our New Testament was written in ancient Greek. Um, And and the thing I love about it is that if we looked at at the decree that King Ptolemy issued on the decree on the Rosetta Stone Mm -hmm. and and read its text today, we go, cool story, bro. Okay, but before before we jump to the end, can we go back to to look at it from the literist perspective? literalist there you go there you we go it. the liturgist, yep. we're, the liturgist. <laughs> where was i trying to go Their with that? i would love would to look at it from the li- interesting if, the liturgist be... is that fourth person you were talking right. about that shows up all right so the literalist would um come to this text and would see that it was um so the text was actually written by some priests uh in egypt and the actual text says um you are to worship the Pharaoh in Egypt. So how would the literalist come to that perspective? Or what would they say reading that? Well, they would say, I need to fall down to my knees right now and worship the Pharaoh of Egypt. Like, <laughs> Perfect. That's what it says. Be I must it. do this. I the must Rosetta believe Stone. it. I must <laughs> do it. The Rosetta Stone said it. I believe it. That settles it. That settles <laughs> oh. it. There it is. Okay. And then you come to the authorial intent um, person who's going to read this and what are they going to uphold or say about this? Well, I think that they're going to acknowledge that, you know, history tells us that this was a turbulent period in Egyptian history. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, in some ways, the end game is very similar to um, the literalist, right? That yeah. the call is here, but we would, the contextualist would acknowledge that part of the influence here is not just to say Pharaoh is awesome, you should lift him up, but it's also intended to be a police of, a piece of of political propaganda to uh, ground the people in 
in their unity in the right because this was literally like set the rosetta stone was originally placed at like the major highway crossroads so all these people would see it well and that's why it had three languages on it yeah right i mean because it was trying to communicate to any number of different people from different contexts and different communities. It was all just like time. a billboard, like yeah, what we would encounter real. as a billboard in three different languages, so that all the all the different. That's cool. Okay. And um, so, like, I wonder who would say amongst these three, um, who would acknowledge that? Hey, this helped. Like. Okay, maybe what it literally says doesn't help us because there's not pharaohs on a throne in Egypt anymore. Yes, the cool story bro approach. The yeah, the cool story bro approach <laughs> for the third hiker. Um, and then but would acknowledge that, but hey, because we have the Rosetta Stone, we were able to crack the ability to mm. read ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics that at that point we hadn't been able to do. And also hashtag shout out Christianity because of our um, New Testament and even the Septuagint that would write the entire Bible in Greek, we are able to were able better to translate by the mm-hmm. 1799 when it was found right. um, the Greek portion of it that helped crack the ancient um, hieroglyphics of the Egyptians in it. What hiker is that? Uh, you know, I, I think that is probably a combination of all of the hikers together. I mean, I think that yeah. may be a place that you get to in community. And we talk about the importance. One of the things I love about yeah. the hikers is that they had the conversation. They didn't go Martin Luther and, and post their theses <laughs> on how to, how to read this sign and stick it right next to the sign so that you have three different arguments alongside Would the Martin sign. Martin Luther in today's context have like a massive Twitter thread? Is blog. that what would have? Oh, just a it blog. It would be a blog. I it bet. would be a blog. That 140 characters would not have been his friend. Yeah, I was going to say. I just wondered if it would be like one, you know, thesis point after I actually another. Don't th- have you ever read them though? They're it's like been a while. lengthy sentences. They're not. <laughs> Not tweets. <laughs> These are not they're really t- not tweetable either because they're posts. they're very like intense. Although it would be interesting to see, you know, uh, Martin Luther was very colorful with his language yeah. back yes. in the day, right? You know, the James was the epistle of straw, right? <laughs> yes. Um, there are any number of moments where humanity is referred to in ways akin to manure and that kind of thing in mm-hmm. his language of the time. I forgot so, he didn't like covered in snow. Yeah. Manure covered in snow. Uh, so it'd be interesting wow. to see Martin Luther in a Twitter world to see. It I'm probably sure would be he great. Could, he could be okay. He would adapt. It. Yeah. Um, he would adapt. Yeah. But, but anyway, the hypothetical about. hiker you have, have yes. lifted up, I think is not really an, an extra hiker, but where you end up, in community and conversation and dialogue where everybody is free to offer their perspective, right? You can offer the literalist perspective. You can offer the contextualist perspective. You can offer this third perspective that says it doesn't make a hill of beans worth of difference right. um, in, in the actual meaning of the text today mm-hmm. because it doesn't apply to our context. But in the conversation those three perspectives had, mm-hmm. you end up with um, the freedom to find that place to say, we may not see value in what it literally says today, but culturally it has been a, a piece of uh, incredible value. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I guess it's difficult. The, the The hard part is whenever you start, this is all like well and good. They get up, they finish the hike together. It's it's a really nice picture. But then like when you get it to the, like it is, it is because, because when you bring the Bible into it, I think there's just so, so much more at stake in people's minds. And that's yeah. where you get the dissent and the like, no, I'm right, and like I'm sorry, mm-hmm. but if you're wrong, that actually means like things for your soul, rather right. than like. And so like when you, and this is the whole, 
thing that I hate sometimes about just like these conversations is people just end up on sides of the fence and then it's all just about, you know, mm. well, if, if you don't agree with this, this and this, then, you know, you're, then you're hell is in your then future. Then hell is in your, and, and then the same, the person on the other side of the fence will say the same thing, you know, it's the whole, right. but, and so I, I wonder how, it's this world of like polarization, yeah, right? Like how to that reconcile we're that. And like, I recently heard this image of polarization that um, healthy groups of people um, look like a big fluffy cloud. Um, and that when polarization occurs, it means that the fluffy middle um, has shrunk and stretched out to where it's mm. so thin that all you're left with is your two edges. Mm. And so I think the work of dialogue, not ugly debate, not posting your theses on a church door, on Twitter, or not on going blogs. to your corners and lobbing verbal bombs. Yes. Right. Right. But this the actual dialogue that can happen between these three friends that hike together, that at the end of the day still hold their truths to be true, but yet can ha- form friendship and have this conversation about this persecuted, um, no trespassing sign that they've encountered. That is actually re-engaging our middle. That is actually helping to recreate healthy spaces where there is a place for each person to find a seat at the table. And I think the opposite thing also happens too, though, in um, our church spaces especially, is one, we either polarize and we say really mean things and we have no intention of actually having dialogue, just throwing verbal bombs, or we are so nice Mm. that we say nothing. And Mm. so I think about, I I was scrolling this past week um, on Facebook and something good came out of my scrolling. That's remarkable. I know. Good oh. and Facebook okay. don't always come together. Happen, no, it, it's scrolling is what sends me into just the dark places, usually <laughs> through Facebook. Or you're just like, why am I not asleep? Why am hey, I? Right. Why can't I stop? I know I need. Yeah. Anyways, but uh, I came across um, an, an article by Kendra Creasy Dean, hmm. who um, wrote Almost Christian. She is. Um, a professor at Princeton University for their seminary. And she had, she's done most of her work with student ministry. And so she Mm. gets asked lots of the questions of like, why do all these students that are raised by faithful Christians when they go off to college, leave the church and don't come back. Um, And one of the responses she gave to that was that maybe it's, we never gave them something to actually talk about. Mm. And so I think the beauty of this way of coming this lens in which we can read our scriptures through is also an invitation to say something about the scriptures that isn't just niceties, but also isn't the other extreme of that. I'm going to go to my corner. Well, when, when I think about either the, the going to our corners or the only saying nice things. What mm-hmm. what has been jumping to my mind as you describe this, and I think it is inherent in what uh, Dr. Dean was saying as well, is that to avoid going to our corners and to avoid nicey-nicey chit-chat, mm-hmm. a level of trust is required. Yeah. Um, generally speaking, if you're going hiking with somebody, it's somebody you know enough 
right. to, uh, to to go wander to, into the literal <laughs> wilderness, right? <laughs> right? You know, you're not hire, you're not hiking with somebody who you go, well, could they be the axe murderer who's a bit on TV <laughs> recently? I mean, you know, it's are somebody... they going to push me down if a mountain lion appears around the corner? Right, right. right. or are they just going to run faster than me? Which is the <laughs> yeah. which, which is the right. truth here. But there's a level of trust inherent yeah. within that, and and that kind of trust, I don't think, is something that is just assumed mm-hmm. often. Um, or built in a moment, but it is something that's built over time where we have, you know, we have the half-step version of this conversation to start with. Then we have the second yeah. half-step conversation. You have the full-step conversation. All of a sudden, your your cloud is moving from, you know, super thin in the middle to, to poofing up and poofing up yeah. and poofing up. Yeah, and the, I like... I think about like we talk about sometimes on this podcast about like the generational differences and like mm-hmm. if you were to name like a the least trusting generation it would most likely be the millennial generation is like mm. these people that just didn't they, actually there's Gen, no Gen Z is trying to compete for that title well yes they might win we I mean yeah but you know in terms of the the adult populace you know no Gen Zs are, are Gen Zs adults. They're Aren't in you a Gen Z? I don't know. I don't. Okay. I've, I am so. <laughs> I don't know yet. Yeah, you don't know if you're a but millennial or Gen Z. I, I don't know if I'm a Gen X. Who I knows? I don't know. I, I the last I commercial I remember. <laughs> commercials are a thing from my childhood, apparently. So, no. but um, oh, you don't have a Hulu subscription. <laughs> um, I have forgot what I was <laughs> well, but I think so the distrust you. of institution. Right. right? It was it, the institutional like. That because we we love the church because it's the church like doesn't work anymore like it's mm. the it's like no I need to show up and I need to see and like uh like that you need to prove that somehow like is sort of the thing so the trust is just not as as easy to come by I don't think anymore just with the amount that we are able to know mm. about the world is I think the main difference is that I can go online and I can know everything that is wrong and right and you know it, like. At once, and so it's just very difficult for me to take the whole of something, and you know, trust it. And so, and that brings up like a really good point of like, what is the main lens? Like, regardless of like which mm-hmm. of these hikers you're um, that you might find yourself in, and I think the reality is, is a lot of us can find beauty in different pieces of each of these hikers, but there's an ultimate lens that we can go through. And, and Daniel, you like talking about that through I, Adam Hamilton's analogy. I do. Analogy. You know, I, I think Jesus is the ultimate filter, right? Mm-hmm. Hamilton uses the Jesus colander image, right? And every time I've seen him do it, he, he pulls out the literal kitchen colander mm-hmm. that is rubber and collapsible. And he pushes it out Love and it. He pretends to, to pour stuff through it like he's sifting spaghetti after you've cooked it. But but the idea that... Such a I love move. how much you love Adam Hamilton. <laughs> hey, hashtag dad life, hashtag, uh, you know, whatever. Um I only have one hashtag. Adam uh, Hamilton, feel free to sponsor this podcast. Absolutely, we will. We yes. will. Yeah. You've got a new book out because you've got a new book out every <laughs> moment of every day, and so we will happily plug it. Um, but one of the things that I love that um, that that image of the Jesus Calendar gives us is it gives us something to say. All right, uh, because the truth is, whenever we encounter Holy Scripture, there are mm-hmm. lots of different moments. Where sometimes when we only read things literally or we only read things contextually or we only go, what does this mean specifically to our 21st century context? We encounter things that we go, well, this seems to be in dissonance with this or it seems to be disconnected from here to here. I I sometimes experience it in in Paul's letters, right? It feels like Paul may be saying one thing to one group of people Uh in one of the letters and then something that is not like radically different, 
but different enough to make you go, huh? Um, in, in one of the others. And so one of our questions is um, with the with the Jesus lens and the Jesus calendar is sort of, all right, what is that ultimate thing that says, if I'm having to decide between these two things, which is ultimate lasting eternal truth, right? I mean, because when you talk about stakes earlier, right, that mm-hmm. is the stakes here. Um, you, for me, Jesus ends up being that lens. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, this week we had, you know, John MacArthur stick his foot in his mouth. At least that's my yeah. perspective. Um, or his head somewhere that it shouldn't go. We could uh, <laughs> describe that in whichever way you want. But for me, he, he's prioritizing Paul over Jesus in Absolutely. his interpretation of Scripture. And Paul's contextual. And always. it's hard, yeah, to, yeah, even with Paul to say that because he was talking. I mean, I mean, it was cultural too. But it, even then, it's like we're reading a dude's mail from yeah. you know two thousand years ago, and it's like if I wrote you a letter right now, catching you up, like if we hadn't if we hadn't talked in three years or something, and I was writing Daniel a letter, yeah. you know, catching him up on my past, referencing certain like inside you know language that we have or jokes that we have or things like that, and then somebody else was to read it, it would not be necessarily a hundred percent like i understood every word of that like it yeah. would be yeah be like i wonder what that means i need to give daniel a call or keep her a call to understand what they're talking about so I, paul's letters are, are one that i <laughs> the, there's assumed with. experience like they're yes. grounded in shared experience they're grounded in shared knowledge right paul is writing to communities that he either helped found or has visited along the way and they right. all have different issues mm-hmm. i mean one of the interesting things to do is to read through the letters and go okay what were the issues that church was facing right, right. yeah uh, absolutely and, and, and you know as the hiker number two right yeah. uh, because we can i think find timeless understandings of who god is and how god works as we read through those letters but we also can get a like a window mm-hmm. a snapshot into what's going on in the church in Corinth, yeah. right? Or mm-hmm. what's going on in the church they were in Rome? A hot or, mess. Amen. <laughs> and, you know, and at one level, you know, we talk about distrust of institutions and, and things like that. Um, at one level, we can see that the church has been kind of a hot mess from the very beginning. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. <laughs> and, and yet, God has been faithful to work in powerful ways even through the hot mess. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, it's not always the the first story somebody wants to hear. But at the same time. You know, because it's not an excuse for why we continue to be a hot mess from time to time. Um, but there can be meaning in, in seeing how God works in the midst of that. Yeah. And just, you know, on all this, I think everything that we're raising up, especially even as we look at this as a way for us to read our scriptures, mm-hmm. um, to come at it and look at and be willing to explore from the lenses of these different um, ultimately, obviously, through Jesus, but to put the extra filter on it, um, each of these hikers' perspectives, um, even the ones that make us uncomfortable to go there, mm. um, can give us something beautiful to engage in, and it can teach us something new about who God is and who our neighbor is, who finds himself more comfortably in a different hiker's shoes. Mm. Um, and that work is so important as you know we've lifted up kind of these issues of polarization um that run rampant not just in our church today but also in just about every um Mm -hmm. realm of activity that we have in life um that it's important to have this dialogue and as daniel as you lifted up um a little bit ago there was a moment where we saw that happen today um or this week powerfully with john MacArthur, who was speaking and was asked to do a word association where the first word was beth moore and his association was go home 
right? And yeah, and oh, it, okay. and that is one of those moments of I know John MacArthur does not want to have dialogue with me, a woman who wears the title Reverend in front of her name. Um, but perhaps it is, he should. Perhaps he should. But you know, the beautiful thing that I want to always offer to people, especially even those who disagree with where I stand. Um, is the ability to come and dialogue with me, mm. not to post your theses against me on my church office store or tweet it. Well, I also don't check my Twitter ever, so that's not going to be helpful. Um, <laughs> but to, to have dialogue around these things where from my place, I can lift up the authorial intent of Christ time right. and time again, where we see that Jesus tells the woman at the well to go to her people. And as she runs to tell them, she proclaims, she testifies is the word. Hey, guess what? That's just a synonym for preaching. She testifies that the Messiah had come. So the first person to ever preach, I know, right? First person to ever preach the Messiah had arrived was a woman. Mm -hmm. The first person to evangelize the good news that Christ had risen from the dead was Mary Magdalene as told to do by Jesus. And we even see it with the simple little story of Mary and Martha, where Mm. Jesus says the better place is Mary's because Mary was sitting at the feet of the rabbi of Jesus. And to sit at the feet of the rabbi was to be a disciple of the rabbi. So just because women didn't always get the Here's the, you know, big billboard Rosetta Stone in three different languages translated for you moment where it's clear, right? Jesus never told women to go home. Mm. Sorry, you just reminded me of my favorite. There's a communion intro that I love that Mm. is um, uh, aligns with the Methodists view on communion that it's an open table. But the, the lead in that I heard was that Jesus never met anybody he didn't he didn't want to have a meal with. Oh, I love that. I was like, oh, that's great. Yeah. And I think that's a great image for perhaps maybe even what our hikers did at the end of their hike was Mm -hmm. these three hikers that share a different perspective probably sat down and had a meal together. And if we can do that around our tables, um, the way with the way we read scripture and the way we live our lives, we are offering such a gift that goes against our culture in today's Mm -hmm. age and time. And when we do that we will be better equipped to read the Bible, not just literally or not just contextually, but faithfully and consistently. Thank you for joining us today on the Gather, Grow, Go podcast. I'm Pastor Daniel. I'm Pastor Melissa. I'm just Kiefer. And thank you again for listening um, every week. Thank you for being faithful in your uh, engagement with this podcast, with this conversation. Um, This is uh, what church is. It's just all the different hikers coming together and having conversations about about things. And this is just such a great way um, that I and we have been able to continue conversation together. And the best way we can bring more people into this conversation um, is to leave a review uh, on Apple Podcasts or on SoundCloud. Uh, That is just the way we break those algorithms um, and get get out into break the world them. and <laughs> shatter reality, I guess. I don't know. But um, yeah, that is how we get out into the world and how we can bring uh, more and more people in. And so do that. Very good. Thank you again for gathering with us today. And now that we have gathered, uh, I'd like to give you an invitation to grow. 
I invite you this week to, to grow by engaging Scripture in conversation. Don't go hiking by yourself in the woods. Hmm. Don't open your Bible all by yourself. If you insist on using the Bible app, make sure you've got somebody sitting across the table from you that has theirs open too. Engage in conversation. Engage together so that we can grow, so that we can learn, and so that we can be transformed. And now go. Receive this benediction, this blessing that's meant to be lived out as you go about your week. This week, if you find yourself planted firmly in the shoes of one of the hikers, Jesus blesses you. If you find yourself in dialogue with someone that agrees with you, with someone who empathizes with you and someone who holds a different view from you, Jesus blesses you. And if you find yourself standing in a corner with John MacArthur, Jesus blesses you. May you go in peace this week. Amen. Amen. I really hope I don't find myself standing in a corner with John MacArthur. <laughs>